everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Today's guest is Maria Shen. She's a general partner on the investment team at Electric Capital, which is an early stage venture firm focused on crypto, blockchain, fintechs, and marketplaces. Before Electric, Maria was the CTO and co-founder of a startup, Bambify, that helped small to medium-sized businesses create more efficient supply chains with manufacturers globally. And prior to that, she also worked at Microsoft. Maria, hey, welcome to the show. Hey, hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so great to see you again. We've chatted in the past about some of the dev reports and electric capital related things, but we'll get into that later. And something I like to start with, with our guests is, can you tell me about one of the most interesting people in crypto that you've met or talked to in the past 12 months? And what um, did you learn from them? Yeah, I think for me, I've been just personally very obsessed with the Nouns ecosystem, Nouns DAO, which is an NFT based DAO. They have a treasury of over $50 million at this point. And the way that they get this treasury is through selling one nouns NFT per day. And the reason why people want to buy these NFTs is actually to then be able to vote on what to do with the treasury. And the treasury has been used to kind of do all sorts of crazy things, everything from funding the most cutting edge privacy technology to funding public goods on Ethereum to even creating the first animated film that's created by people who are like ex-Pixar and Netflix. So it's been across the spectrum. And what's really interesting about this DAO is there's no governing thesis, right? There's no explicit goal. And it's truly kind of like what you make of it. An interesting conversation I had recently is with Noun40, who is, you know, someone in the Noun's ecosystem. This person actively votes on a lot of proposals. They're really active in kind of vocalizing their beliefs and what is Nounishness? Like, should we vote for this? Should we not vote for this? The discussion was really fascinating to me because really it kind of came out of this question of like, what does it mean to be Nounish? Like, what are we doing here? Like, why do we fund certain things and don't fund certain things? Like, what's actually the governing principle? And the way that Now40 described it, which I really liked and I've been thinking a lot about recently, is just that it literally is a democracy. So what is Nownish is not like, hey, we achieved some goal, but it's really just that everyone had a voice and everyone had a say in the matter and then everyone got to decide. And it's the dialogue that happens as we argue and push back on each other or agree or, or you know, introduce new ideas. It's really that process itself that's Nownish. And I, yeah, it's just a conversation I've been thinking about a lot. I think it's really fascinating. And, and it is really, truly one of those things that's like so weird, <laughs> like only in crypto, yeah. only in crypto do you have a community governing $50 million with this like core group of people who just spend so much time like writing these proposals, arguing about these proposals, like funding all sorts of wacky things. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the website right now and it said one noun is auctioned every 24 hours forever. And that's pretty wild. Mm -hmm. The current bid for one of them, we're recording this on a Tuesday, is 30 ETH and the auction ends in 12 hours. So by the time this comes out, who knows what it's going to be out for. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maria, I'm curious... What are you looking for right now when it comes to investments across the stages and sectors and the current market we're in? Is it related to DAOs and NFTs? What sectors do you have your focus on right now? I spend a lot of my time on NFTs. And 
I think we're going to get to a point where talking about NFTs is going to be a little bit nonsensical because we're really just talking about a token standard and this token standard can be applied to so many different things, right? Like it's, I think we know it as like, oh, it's collectibles, it's art, but it's also, you know, people use it for identity. People are increasingly using it for exotic financial instruments that can't be represented as fungible tokens or like fungible standards. And so there's a really, really wide spectrum, but uh, I do spend most of my time kind of in the NFT space. And I think the reason I do that is like NFTs are just truly fun. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important part of bringing in users, right? When we talk about like, hey, when are we going to get mainstream users into crypto? Well, it turns out that people like to have fun, you know, like fashion, people like culture, people like art, people like creators, people like music. And these are all the things that NFTs can be. And what's really fascinating for me is like what happens when you make some of these things that we're already really obsessed with digital and how does that change things? And like, are there new markets that you can create? Yeah. So it's a very broad, but super fascinating space. And that's where I'm spending most of my time. Any of the startups you're looking at right now are working towards making NFTs more mainstream? Because I still feel like Mm -hmm. either one, the word is like toxic to (laughs) non-crypto people and nobody wants to talk about it or use it. And at the same time, I think there is a ton of potential for NFTs for mainstream adoption and maybe in areas that we might not have today or that are not being capitalized upon. Like, I think the photos are fun, like you mentioned, and there are other spaces. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious if you're seeing any startups pop up that like you look at that, you're like, that's an amazing idea. This will actually help. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's kind of like, what are new things that you can enable? Like what's like something actually very useful and and something that new and valuable to people that you can bring with NFTs. One that comes to mind, just because we were talking about the Nouns ecosystem, actually funded, I think they had a budget of close to $3 million to fund this animation that features their NFT characters. And this animation, which is going to be a feature length animation, think like Up or Moana, this animation is made by a platform that allows top-notch animators and creators to come in and auction off their commissions as NFTs. So that's really fascinating for a couple of different reasons. First of all, the people who are creating this movie, so like, you know, the ex-Marvel, ex-Pixar people that I'm mentioning, these are not necessarily animators who are sitting around being like, oh, I'm so bullish ETH, right? Like, I'm so bullish Bitcoin or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's really not what they're MO is. What they're really pulled in by is the ability to exercise a lot of creative freedom while also being able to actually pocket a lot of the things that they earn without a middleman coming in. So for example, on this platform, this platform is called Atrium. On this platform, they have one ex-Pixar animator. He worked on the movie Up and before joining Atrium, he basically was doing custom commissions for some people. And you know, the price was something like $1,000 for a small video commission, which is like definitely a pretty good amount of money to be making. But the problem is that these commissions happen in private, right? In, in private DMs. And so what he's been able to do with Atrium is actually say like, hey, this commission is a NFT. And if you have the NFT, you can use it to redeem like a future commission. And we're going to set the boundaries of like, oh, it's going to be you know, this length of time and we'll work together on this many iterations. And people bid on the NFT like any other auction. Mm-hmm. And so this allows someone to come in and say like, oh, I can pay a thousand. But then maybe you're like, well, I would pay a thousand five hundred, right? And so all of a sudden you get like fair price discovery for what is the true value of this artist's work. Not only that, because every single auction is 
you know, the prices are are basically like immutable, right? And it's like written on chain. This artist can actually go back and say, hey, if you're trying to lowball me, like this is my historical prices. Like this is the past, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so through a platform like that, you know, this artist has been able to make like more than eight times now for his commissions than what he used to make. And a lot of other artists are able to come in and, and basically earn a lot more and mm-hmm. get a lot more exposure. So that's one really interesting NFT use case where, again, these artists are in here because, you know, they're like raw, raw privacy or like, you know, raw, raw decentralization. It's like, hey, this is very real. This makes a really big impact on my earnings and, and what I'm able to do with my life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a really... I really like those types of projects that are bringing in users who find it truly useful for something. Yeah, definitely. And given that you are a GP on the investment team, I would love to hear your thoughts on the market sentiment right now, whether it's within this sector or across VCs. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's been a pullback? Are we still deploying capital? I mean, the amount of capital deployed has dropped every quarter since I think Q1 2020, 2022. Sorry, I can never say that year correctly. (laughs) Um, But do you think this is a bad thing? Is it fine that people maybe are just writing less checks? And are we going to ever see the tigers, the soft banks of the world, you know, come back in full force? Or is this kind of just a a crypto VC game now? I would say, yeah, the sentiment is bad. And it's because a lot of people have pulled out, right? People who were very excitedly deploying capital, who maybe have not been in crypto for a very long time, deploy capital into the bull market, and now they've pulled back in the bear market. I think that's actually quite typical. But for the investors who are very crypto focused, there's definitely still a lot of deployment of capital. People are writing checks. I think where it becomes really challenging is if you're looking for a bigger check, right? If you're raising a seed, series A, there's a lot of capital here and people are still very excited about crypto. I think what's very difficult is if you're trying to raise series B and above, that's where it matters that, you know, the soft banks and the tigers are not as involved in the industry right now. And so I think it's challenging. This has definitely created a lot of challenges for founders, has made runway very difficult. I think it's a bear market for anyone who hasn't experienced a bear market. It just, it does feel bad. The difference though is at least from my perspective, I think the quality of founders that I'm talking to is actually much higher. The quality of ideas that people have is much, much better because just copy pasting an existing idea really doesn't work, right? You have to work on something that is genuinely useful, that is genuinely interesting or net new and creative. I've noticed that, you know, A, the people who are still around in the space and, and just generally the ideas and the projects that people are working on is super high quality right now. So it's actually a really fun time, I think, to be in crypto. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing similar things from other VCs. It's like, you wouldn't really be in this space unless you were passionate about it during a bear market. Like, yeah. of course, during a bull market, everyone wants in. Yep. Uh, we're seeing that with AI. I don't know if that's a bull market or it's just a hype cycle for them, but it's definitely interesting to see founders pop up during this downward market or this current Mm -hmm. lower level we're in. Do you think the deals are kind of competitive right now? Or is it easier as an investor to get in a round that you want to be in? I think it's easier as an investor. There's definitely less capital, but you know, the best founders are still the best founders, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that definitely hasn't changed. And so rounds are still oversubscribed. Founders are are definitely who are great projects that are shipping and have a lot of traction are still getting a lot of interest out there. Yeah. 
Definitely. All right. Maria, we're going to move into a segment I call Rapid Fire. Okay. And I would love for you to try your best to answer these questions in short responses. Some of them are like, would you rather? Yes, no. But if there's something you really want to dive into, I will not stop you. Okay. (laughs) The first question is, would you rather invest only in big name founders or take a chance on new players? Take a chance on new players. That's what being a venture investor is all about. All right. Would you rather write a bunch of small checks or only a few big checks? A few big checks. Do you think most crypto VCs are in it for the right reasons? I think it doesn't matter. I think what matters is, you know, if you're a founder that you feel like the partner that you're working with is is there for you when you need them, that's really all that matters, right? Whatever their personal motivations are, I think maybe matters a little bit less. All right. In the beginning, we mentioned that you co-founded another company. Would you start another one in the future? Hmm. Yeah, I think the possibility is never is never closed. Currently, I have zero intention of doing anything like that, but you know, <laughs> never say never. Right. Do you think the crypto space is underfunded, fairly funded, or overfunded right now? It's mm, a great question. I think whenever there are market questions, I always feel like just the market is whatever it wants to be, right? It's always where supply meets demand. And so it's not underfunded or overfunded. It is where the supply of money has decided to Fairly land. Funded. And that's the and that's <laughs> the supply of money we have. But I do think I think that people are writing off crypto in a way that I think will prove to be very incorrect. I think I think crypto will mm. come back very, very strong. And I think it'll be the underpinnings of not only our entire financial system, but you know, I think NFTs will really infiltrate every single part of culture and our lives and games and media. And so I think it'll be back in a big way that a lot of people probably will not be expecting. Yeah, for sure. Are you more focused on global investments or US domestic ones? No preference. I think wherever there's a good idea, that's where the funding should go. Okay. Aside from Ethereum, which ecosystems are you watching closely? I think there's a lot of really interesting things happening on the L2 space right now around being able to scale Ethereum. I think still a lot of interesting activity on Solana. We're investors in NIR. And, you know, I think the NIR team specifically has always proven to be very ahead of the curve tech-wise. And so their developer ecosystem is very robust. And that's another interesting ecosystem. Cool attention to that. And my last question, yes or no, because it'll go into the next question outside of the segment. Is it concerning that developers are leaving the U.S.? Oh, yes for the United States. No for <laughs> everyone else. No for everyone else, right? Yeah. Okay. Maria, you already know where this is going. But for our listeners, earlier this year, Electric Capital put out a report that found a number of blockchain developers in the U.S. has declined roughly 2% every year since 2017 from about 40% to 29% as of last year, which we will link the story in the show notes for everyone else. While that is arguably kind of a bad signal for American innovation, it also, as you just mentioned, points to a globally growing crypto ecosystem and maybe a workforce that is more remote, decentralized, whatever keyword we want to kind of toss in there. So we can all have our takes on like what this means. But from your perspective as an investor, why does this matter And how does the growth of developers affect the ecosystem in this situation, like both positively and negatively? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it means that, you know, for example, within even just within our portfolio companies, a lot of founders have already moved out of the United States or are looking to move outside the United States. And so that's obviously an area that we we have to support in. Also means that when we're investing, we're looking increasingly outside the United States for opportunities and, and interesting founders. I think where it truly is 
concerning is, you know, I think even just as, as like a US citizen, right, as like someone who lives in this country and loves this country, like, I think it's very important for the United States to lead in innovation. And since I do believe that crypto is going to be the backbone of the financial system of online culture and online assets being traded, I think it's a miss for the United States to not continue to lead in this space, especially when so many countries, the UK, Europe, Asia, so many regions around the world are actually moving very quickly towards regulatory clarity for crypto. And the United States is falling behind. And that being said, I think it's a medium term issue. I think the United States at the end of the day is still the best place for businesses because it's a place with very clear rule of law. And it's not a it's not an accident that so many people want to create their companies and move their families here. Right. And so I think over the long term, this will be okay. I don't think the US is going to lose its dominance, but definitely I think in the short to medium term, it's sad to see that a lot of developers and a lot of companies and a lot of great founders and really, really good smart people and talent and jobs, you know, frankly, are are leaving the US. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a crypto reporter covering this space, it's it's pretty interesting watching everything kind of unfold. And I've spoken to founders who are like, nope, I'm going to stay in the U.S. I'm good here. Mm-hmm. I love living in New York. That's where I'm based, too. So like we talk about they're like, I can never leave. And then there's mm-hmm. people who are like, I'm now considering moving to Lisbon, London, other cities, you know, Dubai. Yeah. And I feel like the regulatory landscape definitely has tightened in the American market, you know, as we've seen with the CFTC, the SEC, so on, filing suits or pressing charges, whatever term we want to use. And some VCs I've spoken to are now looking globally. One of the questions I asked you before was if you were looking, you know, domestic or global, and you said it didn't really matter. But how does a more prominent federal government presence impact your investment strategy or, you know, the broader crypto VCs ecosystem for investing in the States? I think for us, it has, um, I would say it has low impact. We've always been able to invest globally. And so that frankly hasn't changed. I still think just by definition, crypto is a very global, borderless industry and movement. And so I don't even think crypto is really influenced by it. So many people in crypto work online, have relationships and partnerships and, you know, Everyone is able to work very effectively across different borders. And so I think the impact is not going to be as strong on the industry, but obviously it does impact where people want to found their companies and where people want to hire. A lot of these choices will have to change. Stepping back from the regulatory situation, what are you seeing transpire in this bear market compared to previous ones? And do you think the crypto winter, so to speak, is recovering a little bit or... Is it going to continue into Q3, Q4? How are we feeling? Future forecast is always reading tea leaves. So, <laughs> you know, in no way could I, could I claim any sort of accuracy here. But I do think that this is going to last a while. And I think it's going to be perhaps even increasingly difficult for companies to fundraise. VC firms in general, just the macro environment has shifted so much. And we're entering the sort of macro environment no one's experienced for a decade. And I think VC firms in general are raising lost capital. 
and deploying less capital. A lot of firms are almost at the end of their fund lifetimes by early next year, in which case like they're going to be writing fewer checks. And so I think just overall, the fundraising environment is probably going to be worse going into next year. In terms of actually comparing you know, what this bear market feels like versus the previous one. So I started exploring crypto in 2016 and mm-hmm. entered crypto full-time in 2018 when prices were just falling off a cliff. And I would say it feels completely different. A lot of the things that we were really just dreaming about or talking about very theoretically have actually been shipped now. We, you know, scaling solutions for Ethereum, we have decentralized finance, we have a bunch of different stablecoin options, we have, you know, on-chain governance, we have NFTs. These things didn't exist in in 2018 and 2019. And so it's really, really remarkable to see how the industry has matured, the number of people who are in it now using applications, you know, every day and, and actually creating transactions that are beyond just transmitting tokens or transmitting money to each other. Mm-hmm. And people are taking out loans. I was just looking today that, you know, despite even everyone feeling like the NFT market is 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 really crumbling, there's more than a hundred million dollars of volume a week. Like it's still pretty remarkable. And now we have new financial primitives being built on top of NFTs. There's now lending protocols, for example, and which is very, very new. And even still, despite how new it is, and it's just really started to emerge or start to get more users this year, just this year alone, there's been over $2 billion in loan volume. So, you know, there's so much activity right now, even in this bear market that I think in the last bear market, a lot of this was purely theoretical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of things have evolved since then. And even from like the most recent bull market, we're seeing so much growth or change, I would argue. And it, Mm -hmm. it does feel different. I agree with you on that. You mentioned a lot of different subsectors within the crypto ecosystem just now. And I'd love to know what's one new trend you're following and then one sector you expect to evolve during the rest of 2023, maybe into 2024. I feel like time moves so quick here. So, (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I've been paying a lot of attention to interesting markets that can be built on top of NFTs. And so, you know, I mentioned lending as an example, but, you know, when we think about how to, if NFTs are, are basically just online assets, then it goes to follow that we'll have massive markets built on top of these assets. We have massive markets on top of real estate. And so I think if we have digital assets, we'll have the same kind of markets built on top of digital assets. The real question, though, is like, how do you actually design the mechanisms for these types of financial transactions? And so for a very long time, I think a question was like, oh, why don't you just take whatever is happening in DeFi and pop it over to NFTs? But actually turns out that NFTs are meaningfully different. They're very high volatility, but very low liquidity because there's just not that many of them. If you think about, you know, an NFT collection, maybe has like 10,000, right? Or like 20,000 items. That's not a ton of liquidity and prices can move very rapidly. And so how do you design a lending protocol around something like this? It certainly doesn't make sense for you to design it in the same way that you would design a lending system for Ethereum itself. And so we saw a lot of these kind of like V1 NFT financialization protocols, you know, I would say at the end of 2022 and and certainly this year. And now I think we're starting to get into like the 2.0 version of that, where 
the first version was, hey, let's do lending like P2P, for example, or let's take Aave and then let's copy that over for NFTs. And now I think V2 is really thinking about like, okay, well, that kind of works, but it's either inefficient or it breaks in times of high price volatility. And so how do we actually create some new designs around that? And so, you know, that's happening right now, which is which is really interesting to follow. Cool. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see where all that goes as well. Maria, my last question is if you can leave us with a piece of advice for founders or investors, whatever makes you happy there. (laughs) I think the advice for founders is to not run out of money, which is so simple. And (laughs) watch your runway. Watch your runway. Yeah. Because I I think, you know, the next users are, are coming and the next market is going to come. And you don't want to run out of runway right before that. Having kind of worked so hard for so many years, I think if you can just make it to the other side, a lot of things will become easier. And so just everything in your power to not run out of runway right now is is super important. And that might mean making very, very deep cuts to the team. That might mean trimming down the number of features or products that you have. You know, I think it, whatever it takes, now is the time to do it. Got it. Now's the time. (laughs) Great, Maria. Thank you again for coming on the show and for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be back every other week with interviews with top players in the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Thursdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes and be sure to follow us at chain underscore reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself and produced by Yashad Kulkarni and Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. See you next time.